0: This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel challenge. The status quo. It's, it's never this- easy to yeah. challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry—it all upregulates our nervous puts us into fight or flight mode and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, we talk about your gut health. Guy Daniels, the Director of Medical Education at Longevity, a health intelligence platform for wellness, will discuss what gut health is, why it is important, which women's health conditions are impacted by a bad gut, and what you can do about it. We appreciate that Guy's personal experience with Crohn's disease drives his passion to make an impact on gut health.
1: My background is actually a little bit unique and puts me in a good spot for this because uh, I was actually diagnosed with Crohn's almost 20 years ago. And uh, prior to that, for a few years, I was you know, suffering from the initial symptomology. And uh, for me, it developed like it does for so many other people, where um, you know, you go through a couple of rounds of antibiotics and exposes, you know, the genetic flaws in different individuals. And so, um, I've managed it for all these years, no drugs, no surgery, and I do just as well as anyone else walking around out there. So, so I'm you know I'm passionate about what I do, and uh, and I've been able to you know walk the walk and and help people as well.
0: That's and, amazing.
1: And insofar as uh, at Longevity, so uh, my title is uh, Head of Medical Education. Uh, and so at Longevity, what we do is we offer a very convenient at home test kit. Uh, it's a fecal test kit. And uh, the goal is to analyze the microbiome. And I guess we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so uh, in looking at the microbiome, we also have a very comprehensive questionnaire that goes along with that. And then we have recommendations in regards to a little bit in regards to food, but mostly in regards to supplements, primarily prebiotics. And we can get into all these things. And so basically, you know, we're doing something that really no one else is doing. There's only about three or four others that do this type of thing, Uh, but we're using the gold standard in technology, which is shotgun metagenomics. Interesting.
0: So tell us about the gut microbiome and why should women pay attention?
1: Sure. So, uh, there's, you know, microbiome everywhere, right? So we have them on our skin and we have them in our nose and we have them all over the place. And so when we're talking about the gut microbiome, um, there's also more than just bacteria, although that's primarily what we discuss. Uh, But you also have, you know, fungi and, and other players down there, such as archaea and so forth. And so when we're talking about the gut microbiome, and again, the changes as you go throughout the GI tract. So we're primarily talking about the end of the small intestine, which is the ileum. And the large intestine, and so you know how those bacteria, and there are many of them down there. There's roughly 10 times as many bacteria down there as we have cells in our body. Uh, How those bacteria play a role in influencing our health, and so as a woman, uh, you should be concerned about the microbiome every from every possible angle, from the time you're an infant to the time that uh, you're you know into well into your elderly years.
0: So what causes one to have an unhealthy gut?
1: So it actually starts at the very beginning. It starts in utero. um, And so there's data to show that uh, women who are under chronic stress, that chronic stress does change the microbiome. And not only does it change the microbiome in the gut, uh, but it also changes the microbiome in the vagina because there's a thing called translocation where bacteria do kind of move around. Then there's delivery, and so you can have uh, a traditional you know, uh, vaginal delivery, which is roughly two-thirds of deliveries these days in the United States, or you can have a C-section delivery. And so C-section-delivered babies uh, have a different microbiome than vaginal-delivered babies. They have a microbiome that actually comes from skin, like their mother's skin, for example, and also from the hospital room. And as you can imagine, uh, those aren't the ideal bacteria you want to be starting off your life. And then things continue on. Then there's could be breastfeeding or no breastfeeding. The third largest solid component in human breast milk is what's called human milk oligosaccharides, and they are there purely to feed the bacteria. We cannot digest those. Uh, they are purely there to feed the good bacteria to get a good jump start in the bacteria in the baby's belly. And so, um, you know, if nature's telling us anything, is telling us that the bacteria in the gut of our little babies is of, is of extreme importance because one third of the solid components. Are going to feed those bacteria, and then, as time goes on, we have diet. you know you can have a good diet, you can have a bad diet, and so diet plays an enormous role in the health of the microbiome, as does antibiotics, also an enormous role, uh, as does stress and so you know then you get into age twenty something thirty something or beyond, and then a lot of folks uh, don't have a good don't have a good functioning belly.
0: It seems like there's so many factors involved. I know when I hear the word stress i mean. when you're trying to, when someone's saying avoid stress, it's not like one wants to be stressed out. So maybe from the stress component, which is probably one of the hardest ones to control out of the ones you stated from, you know, after you're born moving forward, what does someone do when they're under stress to try to minimize the negative impact?
1: Right. So, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, you have a wide variety of choices there. So um, I'll I'll actually give you an interesting story. So I had a patient one time And uh, after talking to her, you know, for the usual hour, I said, well, you know, I don't have any magical supplements or any magical regimens to give you, but I've just noticed two things. And this is purely for you to take at face value. I said, "Uh, it sounds like you're in a toxic relationship and uh, it sounds like you live in a moldy home. And so I would just reconsider those, you know, two aspects of your life. And she had previously been complaining about low energy and and bad, you know, poor mood and so forth and so on. So I saw her about a month later, she came back high spirits, happy, full of energy. And I said, um, what's, what's going on? What'd you do? She said, well, I, I broke up with my boyfriend and I moved out of my moldy house. So, so that's to illustrate that sometimes there are lifestyle changes you can make if uh, life has become too stressful. If obviously you can you know, exercise and there's, there's just a whole host of things you can do. But you can also help support that with a proper diet as well. So if you have a bad diet and you're feeding quote unquote bad bugs, and then you have stress on top of that, then the bad bugs are able to do more bad things.
0: I know there's many other questions we wanted to get to, but when you said stress, I, uh, especially uh, someone who has gone through fertility treatments, I remember they would say, you know, don't stress. I'm like, how do you tell someone undergoing fertility treatments not to stress? So um, we talked about some of the causes of the unhealthy gut. What about the symptoms and conditions someone might have as a result of this unbalanced or unhealthy gut?
1: There's the obvious ones like IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. And then there's the pretty obvious ones too, like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. But then there's the not so obvious ones. So there's actually a huge connection between the microbiome and basically everything you can possibly imagine, whether it's um, autoimmune disease, whether it's anything to do with metabolic syndrome, which encompasses obesity, which encompasses non-alcoholic fatty liver, Uh, which encompasses, you know, your serum lipids and your blood sugars, all the way to dementia, to autism, uh, to anxiety and depression. So there's, people really don't, you know, this is kind of cutting edge stuff right now. And granted the research on this goes back decades, but this whole microbiome conversation is relatively new. And so the vast majority of people and practitioners as well, don't realize the extreme Importance that the microbiome plays in our overall health. And, you know, I'm sure some of the questions you'll ask will dive into that a little deeper.
0: So, now let's get into the diagnostic tools, and we'll soon get to some of these interesting ways to try to relieve some of the, the symptoms of that unhealthy gut. You mentioned that longevity has a diagnostic tool. So, maybe you could talk more broadly about the way the test is done and how it helps provide better information around what's going on with the gut.
1: So like I said, it's an at-home kit. So, um, you know, you would order it online. It's uh, delivered to you. The, uh, the less than sexy part of this is you do have to have a little bit of a fecal collection going on there. It's, it's a very small amount, but you do have to go through that process and then you ship it on in and then, uh, you know, we'll run the analysis and get back to you, you know, within a period of time, uh, with your results. And so the, Uh, We're in the process of revising the report. So in version 2.0, which will come out out next probably two months, things will be clarified a little bit, but by its very nature, it's kind of complicated stuff. And so, you know, you're going to see a bunch of Latin names on there, just, you know, just very, very confusing. So you have to realize that we understand what's going on and we understand, you know, which bugs are are good guys and not so good guys and which which bugs are kind of in the middle and situation. The recommendations will be there to, you know, help help basically feed the good guys and they will kind of do battle for real estate with the bad guys.
0: With the diagnostic test, you said that there's questions as well. And what does that help do?
1: It's a pretty thorough questionnaire. You know, you never want to completely replace the input from the the individual or if if you're in a doctor's practice, the patient or here, the consumer, what have you. Uh, Because, you know, I've had many times people, someone says, well, you know, I don't know if this is important, but this is blah, 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 blah happens to me. And I say, yeah. actually, I say, actually, that's that's extremely important. And so, you know, you never want to replace that. And so, we integrate that fully uh, into the uh, the treatment regimen as well. You know, in addition to the microbiome findings.
0: You know, I like that this is an at home test, and because I had first learned about the gut microbiome in much greater detail than have a healthy gut, take a probiotic only probably a year ago, and I've. Really started following the space, and it's absolutely fascinating. And I remember asking, How do you even know if you have an unhealthy gut? And that's how I learned about this test. Now, I'm curious if one were going to a doctor's office to do the test. I'll be, obviously, it's probably more expensive and time consuming, so you have to go to the doctor. I'm just curious from a process perspective. Um, Have you found in your research and building this product that doctor's offices tend maybe not to ask such detailed questions? Is it more of a, here's the test, yes or no? And again, I'm not trying to make a comparison to say doctors aren't as good as doing this test, but I'm more just trying to help people understand the dynamics of how things work so they can make informed decisions on what works for them. So maybe I'm sure you have perspective on how things work at doctor's offices that might be helpful for people to understand.
1: When we say doctor's office, are we referring to a regular conventional primary care doctor or are we referring to someone, say, in the integrative functional medicine space?
0: I would say comment on either. I think it would be really interesting to understand that because I also have found in my journey that different types of clinicians practice in different ways. And quite frankly, I thought that you do this test with a GI doctor. So maybe you could just provide education on how that works and maybe some benefits of um, doing this test at home.
1: Let's start with the primary care conventional. So in that particular scenario, the vast majority of primary care doctors now work for groups. And so it's, it's dictated to them that they can spend seven, eight or nine minutes on average per patient based off of, you know, the, the bottom line, basically. And so they're not going to lo- ask a lot of detailed questions in regards to everything that I would spend 45 minutes to an hour asking and, and just, just have a nice conversation, and try to kind of uncover things. In addition to that, uh, this particular kit is not, you know, reimbursed by insurance. So this, this is a cash kit. Um, so they're not going to look at it that way. It's also, you know, it's just, it's just not a part of uh, the standard operating procedures. So you're not going to experience this in a primary care, you know, general practice. Uh, and, and we go back to, you We know, when you talked about stress earlier. Uh, oftentimes, if they don't, you know, figure you out in one or two visits, they'll go, "Oh, it's all stress. It's all in your head. It's you know, it's it's your problem." Uh, when it's much more complicated, and really, the picture is not going to get much better in a gastroenterology practice as well. They're not going to have this. They, they don't even know this information. They're not going to have this conversation with you, and they're not going to offer this test.
0: Power Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health. Having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's healthcare by bringing together critical stakeholders, join us in New York on June 7th and 8th, as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there.
1: So much of medicine these days, you know, is coming down to people seeking out their own health care. Uh, because they're not getting answers. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've, you know, consulted over the years who've been to see 10 or more practitioners to no avail. uh, And then by and large, I fix them in short order. So, um, you know, it's people want, people want answers They're, 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 you know, they're sick of suffering and they want answers. And so they're left to their own devices oftentimes to try to resolve things, which is why, you know, the benefit of the internet. I mean, sometimes the things you see on the internet aren't necessarily accurate, but there's also an enormous amount of information out there as well, which can help these people, uh, you know, accomplish their goals. So, you know, it's starting. The information is starting to get out there with the integrative docs, the the functional medicine docs, the natural medicine docs. And they're becoming more aware of these analyses. And like I said, there's about three or four competitors in the space, so they're they're generally aware of it. But again, this is very much you know tip of the spear stuff right here. Um, so there's 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 a lot that needs to be done in, regard, in regards to education.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean. What I found in my journey, because I had endometriosis and underlying immune issues, and that's why it took me so long to have my son. And through that journey, I've learned so much about just the intricacies of the body, which is why the gut microbiome fascinates me so much. And then also, even when you go online or talk to a doctor, there's so much you don't know you don't know. And quite frankly, even research online is... You have to know enough to even Google the right words to find the right thing. and
1: Exactly. um,
0: And so even that is difficult. And this is honestly why I built the Fertility For Me platform, because I'm crowdsourcing data from women on their own experiences and reporting that back through data so that women can go online and look and say, with other people who are having this experience, what are they doing? What are they finding? What's working? What's not working? And it's it's them reporting it. I'm not promoting anything. I'm not giving direction. And I hope through that, it helps create a level playing field of that information and allowing them to have better conversations with their doctors. And even if they need to use their feet to walk out the door, feel more confident in doing so. Um, this is just, it's not even just women's health, it's everywhere. Um, and so kudos to, to organizations like yours who are really trying to make change and looking at the root cause of some of these conditions. So I mentioned probiotics and I, I go to my local Whole Foods. Now they have like an entire refrigerator full of probably a four foot space, even in, in New York City where the grocery stores are much smaller. And there's so many probiotics out there. And you know, I, I think, as you mentioned, Understanding the gut microbiome, there's so much to do, and it's, it's fairly new. But I almost feel like the the piece that's really gotten through is everyone needs to be on a probiotic. So, are those really the end-all, be-all? You mentioned diet and other things as well. So maybe you can tell us how probiotics fit in, and then we can talk about some of the other ways that someone can um, have a healthier gut.
1: This is actually a fantastic question, and. The you know the the current I guess you know mood is that they are the end all be all, uh, but in reality they aren't. So we've done a number of very large, very extensive meta analyses, and for example, when we take a look at um, obesity, or you know the list goes on, you know autoimmune disease, et cetera, et cetera, and we take a look at one of the really two main genera within the probiotics world, uh, lactobacillus, uh, we actually see a lot of negative associations in lactobacillus. regards to the health. So for example, if you look at, you know, obesity is a good one for the lactobacillus where, you know, more often than not, the obese had high lactobacilli in their guts and the, the healthy controls had lower levels of lactobacillus compared to the obese. So, you know, and this a lot of this data historically comes from 16S data, which is older technology. And so it's only down to the genus level, but the bottom line is is that you can't just be throwing down these b- blends of probiotics to everyone. You know, they will work for some people in some of the time, and they won't work for other people other the t- other times. And they might even be a hindrance to some people sometimes as well. And so, and, and the data shows that. I mean, I've, I've literally been through thousands of published papers over the years. Um, and there are papers that show, yeah, hey, this particular uh, bug or this combination of bugs was was helpful in this particular condition. And something else may say, yep, yeah, it wasn't helpful at all. Um, so... You know, so you have basically you know, three genera that play a role in, in um, probiotics. You have the one I just mentioned, lactobacillus. Uh, you have bifidobacterium, which now bifidobacterium is a li- little dif- different story. Bifidobacterium is essentially universally healthy in all people. So you can throw bifidobacterium at someone with dementia or someone with autism or someone with uh, depression or whatever it happens to be. And unless it's active ulcerative colitis, bifidobacterium is going to be helpful. Uh, it's just a very, very wildly healthful, healthful uh, genus. Uh, streptococcus is the other one you'll see sometimes, and there's a little bit of mixed data on that, and Streptococcus as a genus is kind of a little bit troublesome. So, um, And on top of all those things, uh, the counts of probiotics, the number of actual bugs in there, are a drop in the buck compared to the overall microbiome. And... They're only, you know, two to three genera, whereas the number of bugs in your gut uh, can be in the hundreds, if not over a thousand. That's not going to lend itself well to diversity either. We, generally speaking, we want diversity. So the best way to actually drive a healthy gut is through prebiotics. Uh, so prebiotics are essentially these, the, is fiber, is dietary fiber, which makes it down to the lower gut, uh, which was not digested and absorbed in the upper gut. And that becomes the fuel for the good bugs.
0: I have to ask why. What was the impetus for really initiating this field of gut microbiome? Is where it's at. What 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 started this?
1: Well, what start? How far back do we want to go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a a Russian Russian researcher who uh, was was eating kefir from the Caucasus Mountains. So we can go back that far and say, you know, you know, it's, it, it goes back a long way. But I mean, really, in the past, you know. 20 years, the technology has been there to kind of really begin to analyze you know, who the players are down there. Um, okay. and, and now with shotgun metagenomics, not only can we, can we identify the players, the bugs down there, but we can also look at their DNA. So in addition to identifying who they are, we can take a look at all the DNA they possess. So what enzymes can they make? What things can they do inside the body? So for example, You know, we possess about 17 different digestive enzymes in our GI tract. Well, the microbiome produces thousands of enzymes. And these thousands of enzymes produce things like neurotransmitters, hormones. Uh, They they, uh, help you to cleave off toxins or you reabsorb toxins. They change, they just do basically everything you can possibly imagine. And so that's just one, one, just one facet of what they can do in the lower GI.
0: Back to the prebiotics. So I actually have a prebiotic, and personally, for me, I, I was directed. I don't know if this is right or wrong to take it before I have cheese. So I'm uh, I don't because of the endometriosis. I don't eat gluten or dairy, but mm-hmm. once in a while I'll do like a, a sheep's milk or goat's milk cheese, and I'll just have a little bit of it, and just to make sure nothing happens, I do take the prebiotic, but only for that. I know you mentioned that prebiotics are essentially fiber, but what about the pill form? And I mean, is that even really helpful, or is it more from the diet perspective?
1: From a diet, you, clearly you want fiber in the diet. Yes. Um, however, in in what I call the broken gut, um, the broken gut needs dietary changes, and it also needs prebiotic supplementation. Okay. Uh, because I, you know, it's kind of like I guess the analogy I use is kind of like if you let's say you blow at your knee playing sports. Um, you, you know, even though you, it heals, you, it's really, really never quite the same after the initial injury. Um, and so that is kind of what's going on inside the gut. Once, once you break it with that combination of whatever happened to you, antibiotics slash diet slash stress slash, you know, C-section, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's never quite really the same. Um, you, I can definitely get people a hell of a lot better. But it seems that they generally can't completely come off, you know, the regimen uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. You can maybe reduce the overall, you know, burden of it. Um, so, you know, but diet is still an enormous role. And, and the, the basis of the platform is gluten-free, dairy-free free from a dietary standpoint. And that's – and again, if someone can tolerate gluten, then fine because actually – You know, there are these cool things called arabinoxylans in gluten and and in rye and so forth uh, that actually help create a more diverse, healthy microbiome. But if you can't tolerate gluten, then we highly recommend you don't take it, you know, don't don't ingest it. In regards to the prebiotic, uh, really, I would avoid the capsules and go with the powders because you really want to get multigram dosing in, Um, you know, depending on male, female and who you are and what you eat, the average American consumes about less than half of the RDA for fiber. And so, you know, when you're looking at you know, providing other 10 to 20 grams of fiber per day, you really can't do that with capsules. You're going to need powder to do
0: that. So, let's talk about diet. This is one I, I really wanted to jump on very early in the call because last year I learned about the autoimmune protocol diet, otherwise known as the AIP diet, and did the uh, I, I can't remember the exact term, but basically the cleanse phase—that one week where you're really, really restrictive—and then it became less restrictive. And in just that week, my anxiety levels were like gone, and to the point where I said, "Wait, this is what I've been living with my entire life. Like, this is not normal. So the way I am now with this diet is what normal people experience." And I just—I didn't even realize that i had such a severe baseline anxiety <laughs> until i started this diet and it it was just uh, just amazing to see the the changes that were going on and you know i just love to hear from you this information about diet and its role because it it plays a much much bigger role in our health than i had ever imagined like i used to spend my time at the gym i would do insanity workouts you name it and I have found that 99% of what I had wanted was relieved by diet and only 1% by exercise. Okay, maybe the percentages are off, but you get my point. Like diet is huge. So let's talk about diet.
1: Sure. I mean, there's so many ways we can attack that. So for example, if we look at like generational studies and you take someone from Southeast Asia who was eating a certain diet uh, and then they, you know, emigrate em- to the United States and they bring their children along. Uh, within a certain number of the years, they or and or their children become obese when Previously, they were lean and their microbiome changes radically, you know, just from just from dietary changes alone. You know, you can take a look at someone who's obese and suffers from, you know, all facets of metabolic syndrome. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is is in the grocery store, I look at people's shopping cart behind me, you know, and I look at them and I look at the shopping cart. And, you know, it's usually pretty much a correlation to what's in the shopping cart to the person. Um, so we can talk about allergens in diet because, you know, dairy is the number one offender, uh, gluten's, uh, you know, not too, too far behind at number two. Uh, but then some people can't tolerate, you know, corn, for example, or soy or something like that. Um. So there's, there's that whole component as well. So basically everything you ingest impacts your microbiome uh, and, you know, everything you ingest impacts your health. And so, and we can even go further. And as far as a dietary component things we do to alleviate symptoms of a bad diet, such as H2 blockers and PPIs. So now we're reducing stomach acid uh, and then now we're reducing our ability to digest our foods. And so we're changing the microbiome that way as well. And so, Let's say you have low stomach acid and you decide to eat a 16-ounce you know, prime rib. Well, guess what? A lot more of that protein is going to make its way further down the GI tract. And who likes that kind of stuff? Bad bugs like that kind of stuff. So now in your, in your colon, you, know, you have more animal protein that should otherwise have made it down there, and you're feeding bad bugs. So instead of feeding the good bugs with these, these fibers, these prebiotics, we're feeding the bad bugs with these animal fats and animal proteins. Not that I'm saying we should all be vegans. I'm not saying that at all. But we should have a proper, balanced diet.
0: Now, when you were talking about the H2 blockers and PPIs, are you saying take those to help or those hinder? Right. So
1: people take those to help with like heartburn. Okay. Right. And they do, Um, but they hinder your digestion because they are they are clamping down on HCL production. It's you know hydrochloric acid in your stomach, which is there for several reasons, but primarily to to break foods down, particularly proteins. As the food passes on through. Uh, especially, for example, maybe you don't have a gallbladder, et cetera, et cetera, then you, know, you have these things like, for example, SIBO is a very hot term these days, right? As you, as you hinder your digestive process, then in SIBO, bugs can crawl further up the GI tract, and then in the colon, you're feeding a different set of bugs. You know, Ideally, we, we, we want to eat a better diet so we don't have to take PPIs, so we can have improved digestion, so we can have a better microbiome, so we can have better overall health.
0: No, I agree that, you know, I've grown up in the pharmaceutical industry. That's where I spent my entire career. And I think medications are so, so important. But I, I have to admit, the more I'm learning about just how significant the impact of diet and even toxins are to our body and how if we could just take care of that, it would minimize the cost burden of taking so many medications... Again, I'm not at all minimizing the value of these these drugs, I and mean, they're extremely important, but you know I think we do have to weigh that against the the benefits of just being really healthy. Now, speaking of healthy though, what would you tell people about these diets and how to monitor? Because I, I will admit when I did the AIP, I now say to myself that say that I do the white AIP version, so I mostly stick to AIP, but I still do. Um, eat other foods? Because it is really hard to be so restrictive. So I guess, how does one know what they should or shouldn't eat? And is it an 80-20 rule, a 90-10 rule, or is it a 100% zero rule on you know what to do with these trigger foods?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's really an individual thing. So I, I would say, generally speaking, uh, as a nation, our health would be much better off without dairy products, particularly cow dairy products. The others are much more digestible and less offensive for sure. That's really a big one right there. Um, you know, like I said, gluten's is kind of a number two. And so, But you know, some people, many, most people can tolerate corn. And, most, and again, it depends on kind of the luck of things, right? If you maybe were you know, eating a lot of corn and had a lot of intestinal permeability, then you develop an immune reaction to corn, et cetera. So these things really become trial and error things for the individual person. Uh, and I realized, you know, diet's a very hard thing to follow. And I also realized we re- lead very busy, stressful lives. And in fact, 40% of all American meals are eaten in the car. So, you know, if you're, if, you know, mom's busy driving, you know, this one to soccer and dad's busy driving this one to basketball and you're doing it both after you worked a long day, um, of course, you're going to be eating meals in the car. There, there's a, just an enormous amount of challenges built into the whole, this whole system, as well as, you know, our food quality in, in some cases is not that fantastic. I mean, this could be an entire, you know, interview in itself, I agree. Um, but you know, things like, you know, there's different things that can support that. And again, one of which is prebiotics and you want a diversity in prebiotics, you know, just like you want a diversity in probiotics, right? Uh, you don't want to just feed one prebiotic to the gut, uh, because you're only gonna be feeding a certain set of bugs, right? So you want to feed, you know, varying, uh, prebiotics. You also want just a varied diet, you know, you don't want, don't want to be eating, you know, chicken breast and white rice for a living because that's not a healthy diet. You want a varied diet you know, and foods you can tolerate. And some people with a broken inflamed gut, they can't tolerate fresh fruits and vegetables and which, you know, happen to be wonderful things, but they can't tolerate that. So, um, you know, you have to find what's right for you. And sometimes it takes working with, uh, you know, a skilled professional who, who kind of knows these things.
0: And that is hard to find. I mean, it's, it it is a challenge, but, but I have to make a little note here that I need to tell my four year old, not as much corn, honey. He loves corn. Um, <laughs> I don't want him to to have allergic reaction down the road. And
1: and it's not, it probably isn't bad for him, right? I mean, if he, you know, depending on his mode of delivery, depending on breastfeeding, depending on when, you know, animal uh, food proteins were initially introduced into his diet, depending on antibiotic use, depending on his genes, uh, you know, corn's probably not an issue for him. Uh, But but for example, I will, so here's a really interesting point, you know, since we're talking about, you know, your four year old. So let's talk about type one diabetes for just a second. Uh, the highest rate of type 1 diabetes in the world, and this is not type 2, this is not the obesity part, this is type 1, the autoimmune part, the highest rate in the world is in Finland. Uh, Finland is also the highest dairy-consuming nation in the world. And so basically what's going on there is uh, you know, there's the introduction of dairy proteins into the young infant you know, before they should be introduced. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics states that children should be exclusively breastfed to uh, six months of age. But, you know, a lot of women do not breastfeed for a couple of different reasons. Um, and so if you're introducing these, you know, these milk proteins, like, like I was, I had, you know, formula was the thing back when I was a baby. It was like the hot, new, cool thing. Then you're throwing these, these potential high, highly allergenic proteins into this immature gut. Uh, in the case of type 1 diabetes, uh, these proteins kind of look like some of our proteins once you build the, you know, the autoimmunity to them. And uh, they, it starts attacking self in the form of beta cells. And so, therefore, you can no longer produce insulin, and now you're on insulin for the rest of your life. So, you know, there's an example where, again, you know, highest dairy consumption, highest rate of type one diabetes, which is an autoimmune condition, which leads into the whole, you know, gut permeability, inflammation in the gut type of thing, and then those those animal proteins making into the body systemically.
0: Now, let's talk about the scientific community. Again, you said that this is a, a fairly newer field. Um, we talked about how from marketing and for other reasons it seems to be all about probiotics and i have recently read that the strain you take is dependent on whatever you're trying to solve for what would you advise people who are trying to work with a clinician who are trying to figure out why they're having a given symptom and are really struggling to get it diagnosed like i mentioned to you with endometriosis i had no symptoms and it, three years of going to 10 of the best reproductive endocrinologists in New York City and not one person thought it was endo. I went to an immunologist who had figured it out. You know, it's a struggle because you don't know what you don't know. And gut microbiome is something that people are just learning about. So, and from even the scientific perspective in the medical community. So what would you advise patients to do to have success in relieving their symptoms and getting answers to some of these conditions that they have.
1: Well, that's the million dollar question, right? So, I mean, this is the half the battle is getting the appropriate diagnosis. And sometimes it takes a long time to get that appropriate diagnosis. And sometimes it's just like you did. You go from, you know, practitioner, 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 because, you know, you weren't satisfied with the outcomes. That can be a challenge. I mean, so hopefully you get lucky and you get a di- you know, the the correct diagnosis early on. Uh, I, I wrote a book years ago, and I, if I recall roughly correctly, because it's been a long time since I, since I quoted this, there were uh, hospital autopsies done after you know folks had died, obviously. In the in this particular study, uh, the autopsies showed that the cause of death was was different from the cause of death written on the on the documentation roughly 40 to 50% of the time. So in other words, the doctor said, oh, the patient died of this and the autopsy showed, no, actually they died of this over here. So, um, you know, it's, the body is immensely complicated. Yes. Um, And so sometimes it does take, you know, going around and if you're not satisfied with someone, then go to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I honestly would recommend do your own research. Just spend time Mm -hmm. researching away. Sometimes you think you found an answer and sometimes it may be the answer and sometimes it may not be. Um, and so you you do want to try to seek out specialists in that area, um you know whether it's G i or whether it's you know endometriosis or something else um but yeah that's 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 not an easy solution I, I I wish I could wave a magic wand for you there.
0: maybe everyone who's struggling with those diagnoses just takes the the test, right, and maybe that can provide answers so if, if someone did did take the test that longevity provides, what what would they get back and how might they take that to a medical professional for better information?
1: Again, the vast, 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 essentially none of your medical professionals will be able to kind of read the bugs on there and translate that. And um, so, you know, with our version 2.0, we're going to do a little bit better job of translating it for people. And it's going to come up with an exact recommendation for a protocol. So, you know, if you... Do this analysis, and you go to conventional gastroenterologists. They're going to go, what in the world is this thing right here? I, you know, and since since they don't know anything about it, they're just simply going to poo-poo the whole thing. No pun intended there. And they're going to say, oh no, it's all phony baloney, blah blah blah. So because you know, because they're you know they're living in their world, and if, if they haven't figured it out, then it doesn't exist. So you could take it to all the practitioners you want. If you take it to more of a integrative natural natural medicine functional medicine practitioner, they're going to be more in tune with that. They're going to understand that some of the premises like premises like um, uh, leaky gut uh, and and so forth and so on. So uh, you, you may have more success in that area, but still, it's going to be hard for them to translate this. Which is why we go the extra step, uh, just simply recommending a, a, a exact regimen to the consumer uh, to kind of take some of the the crazy you know Latin guesswork out of the whole
0: thing. So I, I completely hear you about the medical community, and this is not just to the medical community. I mean, any human being, if they don't understand something, depending on their background, confidence level, and many other factors, one can you know, go from either poo-pooing an idea or wanting to understand it better. And, and given our healthcare system, not allowing doctors to spend m- multiple minutes with the uh, patient, and it's more just a few, I, I can definitely see how the whole system feeds into limiting the ability to to get answers. Um, so, you know, I, I, am glad to see that, that there is this test. Um, so I did want to at least acknowledge that. So what would you say inspires you? I mean, you've done some really great work here and, um, I'd love to know what, what inspires you.
1: Um, well, I would have to probably have to say that, uh, you know, if, if you can take someone who's been, uh, you know, feeling terrible for years and sometimes decades and they've been to see, you know, multiple practitioners and you turn them around significantly in a relatively short amount of time. It could be, you know, days, it could be weeks, it could be a, you know, a couple months. That's, you know, that's really moving when you're able to do that for somebody. And so, um, you know, it, it inspires you to just kind of be better at what you do.
0: That is true. It's clear now through our conversation that the gut microbiome is not bias towards men or women. It's really everyone. But you know, given that we are focused on women's health today, what would be the one message you'd want to share with women about their gut, gut health, whether it's something that they should know or something that they should do?
1: Well, women suffer more from, for example, gut disorders than men. Uh, women suffer more from anxiety and depression than men. Uh, these two are very, very strongly linked to the microbiome and to each other. And so the gut microbiome is important to women uh, from basically the time they are born to the time they they pass away, you know whether it's in the beginning stages of life, uh, whether it's you know fending off you know obesity and, and high serum lipids and blood sugars and so forth, whether it's you know in their reproductive years uh, having children, uh, whether they want to pass on a good microbiome uh, to their children and have their children start off in life on the right foot. Whether it's as time goes on, and again, they may be in their 40s, and, and they'd be struggling with fighting off anxiety and depression, and it plays a huge role there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in their 50s and 60s, they're, you know, or 70s, are starting to get concerned about dementia, or they're developing dementia. It plays a huge role there. And the microbiome, again, studies show that it plays a role in longevity. So if you get into your, you know, your 80s and beyond, then it plays a role there. And the message is kind of the same, I and mean, we don't know everything about the microbiome. It's impossibly complex. But at this stage of the game, we know enough to make a significant difference in a lot of people's lives. And we do know that generally speaking, and there are some, you know, some differences here, but generally speaking, the bugs that are good when you're 15 are the same bugs that are good when you're 40 are the same bugs that are good when you're 80. We know, you know, who the good guys are. And we also know conversely who the bad guys are at all those ages and all in between as well. And we know basically what they like to eat, what their food is. And so if you're feeding bugs in your gut with the right fuel, then generally speaking, you'll have better outcomes. And if you're feeding the bugs in their gut with the wrong fuel, uh, generally speaking, you'll have uh, unwanted outcomes.
0: Well, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. And there does seem to be momentum and research going into this space. I can't wait to see where we go into the future because change is needed. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. social media algorithms love today's insights show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower health it lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey amplifying the voices that need to be heard and for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply, whether you have a question a story to share or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com. Drop us a message on social media or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations.